On April 12, 1861, troops from the newly formed Confederate States of America opened fire on the United States troops stationed at Fort Sumter, South Carolina, formally initiating the United States Civil War. Just three days later, on April 15th, President Abraham Lincoln issued a call to arms to all citizens in the United States who were still loyal to the Union. And in it, he said this, Now therefore, I, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, in virtue of the power invested by me, in me by the Constitution and the laws, have thought fit to call forth, and hereby do call forth, the militia of the several states of the Union to the aggregate number of 75,000, in order to suppress said combinations, and to cause the laws to be duly executed. The details for this object will be immediately communicated to the state authorities through the War Department. I appeal to all loyal citizens to favor, facilitate, and aid this effort to maintain the honor, the integrity, and the existence of our National Union, and the perpetuity of popular government, and to redress wrongs already long endured. I deem it proper to say that the first service assigned to these forces hereby called forth will probably be to repossess the forts, places, and property which have been seized from the Union. In every event, the utmost care will be observed, consistently with the objects aforesaid to avoid any devastation, any de destruction of, or any interference with property or any disturbance of peaceful citizens in any part of the country. The president issued a call to arms, a direct response to the rebellion that had become pervasive in the country. A rebellion hell-bent on propagating an institution so heinous, so inhumane, that our country is still searching for healing and reconciliation over 157 years later. His call to action for citizens loyal to the Union was met with overwhelming enthusiasm. And with this, within a span of only a few months, the Union Army was over half a million men. Similarly, here in the book of Ephesians, Paul has issued a call to arms to the church at Ephesus. As Paul begins to draw to a close his exhortations to the church, and as we learned last week from Patrick, he calls the saints, those allegiant, those loyal to Jesus Christ, to arms. He's trying to raise an army to do battle with him. He calls us to put our armor on, to pick up our weapons and go to battle against the spiritual rebellion of the forces of evil in this present darkness. Just as Jesus himself called us to take up our cross and follow him and go to battle. Paul's hope is that as a unified body of Christ, that we would respond with overwhelming enthusiasm as we take our fight to the enemy. Let's pick up our text here. In Corinthians 6. I'm going to recap just briefly. 13 through 17 says this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to pray, 
proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We are people called to do battle on behalf of our king, called to proclaim victory, the victory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are called to be ambassadors, those who bring good news from a righteous and loving king. Patrick did an excellent job last week of laying out for us what the armor of God is and what it represents. What I'd like to focus on today comes at the end of verse 18 and goes through verse 20. I'm going to read that section again. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So what Paul is doing here at the end of this thought is he's tying together the what with the how and the why. So the what is putting on the armor of God so that we can stand firm against Satan and his schemes. We've talked about this at length. But let's look a little closer at the how and the why. Pat alluded to this last week at the end of his teaching, but let's go back there to verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You see, Paul was an ambassador in chains preaching the gospel. He was carrying Christ with him in all circumstances, in beatings, imprisonment, in shipwreck, in snake bites. His desire was that he would be lifted up in prayer so that the gospel would reach people who had never heard it. And today, the church carries that same mission in the midst of this war against the kingdom of darkness. So why is it imperative that as a church we must continue to put on the armor of God? It's imperative because we are called to proclaim the mystery of God boldly to the world around us. We are God's appointed ambassadors in every circumstance that we find ourselves The church is God's ambassador to the kingdom of darkness. So that's my first point. The church is God's ambassador to the kingdom of darkness. You see, the whole point of being an ambassador is to represent the character, the interests, and the message of those on behalf of whom you were sent. So in order for us to be good ambassadors of Jesus, we have to be intimately familiar with who he is. And what is his will for us and for the world around us? We must be intimately familiar with the message that we are representing. That's why Paul says that he needs prayer to boldly declare the mystery of the gospel. But it's not really a mystery what Paul is asking here. Paul has already clued the Ephesians in to what he means when he says mystery of the gospel. In fact, he's used the term mystery five times already in this book. And each time he does... He offers clues to what he means. So let's look back together. Chapter 3. Just flip one page over there. Chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles 
the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. You see, the message that we are carrying to the world is that the gospel is the good news message for everyone. It's not just for the chosen few. It's good news for everyone. And through Christ, we have boldness and access to the Father through faith in Jesus. So the mystery is not mysterious at all. The gospel message is for all people at all times. God has taken those who are not his covenant people and brought them into his covenant through his son, Jesus Christ. Last week at Young Adults Group, we did an exercise where we went through the narrative of Scripture and laid out the gospel piece by piece at a real elementary level. And what I shared with the group on Thursday is that our life experiences color how we see the gospel. It affects the pieces that we leave out or that we don't emphasize which in and of itself is not a bad thing. We all come from different backgrounds. And the gospel has affected us emotionally in different ways. But if we are going to be those representing our king, we must be intimately familiar with the entire message of the gospel. If we are going to stand firm, like Pat said last week, with shoes given by the readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace, if we are going to do everything that we can to stand against the devil's schemes, then we've got to make sure our personal experience does not shortchange the fullness of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I am proud to say that as a group, collectively we were able to summarize the good news of Jesus in a clear way. It was a really fun and exciting exercise to see the wrestling with the gospel, how it has impacted different people in our body. And it starts like this. God created a good world where man dwelt in perfect union with God and his creation. Then man chose to decide for himself what was good and evil. And mankind chose rebellion and separation from the loving God. And what followed were several vain attempts by people to be God themselves. And to try and recreate that union, that harmony between mankind and creation. And each attempt failed miserably. But God in his justice and righteousness chose for himself a peculiar people, the Israelites. So that he could give his law to them. So that they could be his ambassadors in the world. But time after time, they perverted the law and misrepresented his heart to the people around them. But God did not abandon them when they failed. Instead, he made a way once and for all for man to be restored. He sent his only son, Jesus the Messiah, who was born of a virgin who lived a completely sinless life as a man, completely fulfilling the law. Then Jesus was betrayed by his own people. He was crucified on a cross as an innocent man. His blood was shed as payment for the sin of all mankind. Yes, that is good news. It is great news, in fact. But that is not the fullness of the gospel message. 
You see, after that, he didn't stop there. As I said in group on Thursday, this is where Jesus came in the most clutch. Three days later, after dying on the cross, he came back to life, raising from the dead, defeating death once and for all, and proving that he is fully God. Then he spent the next 40 days on earth preparing his apostles to be ambassadors in the world, teaching us to obey and observe everything that he has commanded. And then he ascended to heaven to be with his father where he sits, even now at his right hand, advocating on our behalf, on behalf of his church. And one day, Jesus will return in glory, and he will create a new heaven and a new earth where he and his people will again be in perfect unity with each other, with him, and with creation. And that's the fullness of the gospel message that we're carrying to the world. That is the fullness of the message that we have been entrusted with as his church to carry with us in every circumstance. So if that was your first time hearing the fullness of that message, and you want to know more about it, please come talk to us. If you want to know what it is to walk as an ambassador, to be part of the kingdom of light, come to see Pat or Hans or I or any of the other leaders here at church. We'd love to talk to you more about it. But for those of you who are familiar with the gospel message, I hope you're reminded of the fullness of the gospel of those parts that we forget because of our personal experience. Those are parts that we gloss over because they make us uncomfortable. You see, being familiar with the message is the start of being good, a good ambassador. But that's just the start. It has to be followed up with action. It has to be action in tandem with the knowledge. Our knowledge has to inform our action. And so the passage that Ian and Cassie shared this morning highlights this so well. I love how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. So let's read it again. And it says this. For we, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled himself to us reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, if we have chosen to make Christ our king, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh any longer. We know from Ephesians that we are not battling against flesh and blood anyway. We are battling the spiritual powers and darkness, the principality, the ruler of this earth. So knowing that, we put on Jesus and his character we allow the love of Christ to control us. In chapter 6, 1, that Ian read, it says there that we work together with Christ to make our appeal to the world. We partner with him. 
And we do that by putting on the same armor that he put on while he was here on earth. Turn with me, if you would, towards the center of your Bibles, Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, and we're going to start in 14. Isaiah 59, 14. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth is stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man... And wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. And a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. And wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. You see God sent his son. His very own arm as it says there in Isaiah. To restore justice. And how did Christ do it? He had righteousness as a breastplate and salvation as a helmet. We put on Jesus' righteousness that has been freely given to us and his salvation that has been freely given to us. And we partner with his spirit to enact justice and to proclaim the gospel message. You see, we shouldn't need to add spiritual warfare and putting on righteousness to everything that we're already doing. It should already be who we are. This isn't an extra. This is essential. This isn't optional. This is everything. The church is the body of Christ and we are warriors. In Ephesians 3.10, Paul says, Through the church the manifold wisdom of God may be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Everything we do should be through this filter of bringing the gospel to the world in the midst of battle. It shouldn't be an addendum to our already busy lives. You see, the whole book of Ephesians has been about what God has already accomplished through Jesus Christ and how the church should respond in victory. And I pray that our response as a church is one of enthusiasm and discipline. So why is the armor so important? Because we are ambassadors for Christ called to proclaim the gospel. Called to proclaim the good news with confidence and boldness. Let's read back in Ephesians again. Back in chapter 6. Again it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So how do we actually do what Paul has commanded us? How do we keep our armor up? How do we stand firm? How do we persevere? How do we stay alert? How do we proclaim the good news with boldness? He gives us the key there in the text. Ambassadors keep their armor up through prayer. Ambassadors keep their armor up through prayer. It says it right there at the start of verse 18. Pray all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication. Making requests of God. 
And to that end, Paul says, to the extent that you're putting your armor on and standing firm, he says, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. You see, in the span of just two verses, Paul mentions praying four times. And so Paul felt it necessary to harp on prayer. And I want to take a little sidebar here to talk about prayer and why, is it, why it is such an important discipline. And it really does, in fact, take discipline. You see, oftentimes, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I feel like I'm really good at saying my prayers, but not really good at praying. Maybe some of you feel that way. I often get caught in formulaic memorized prayers or just speaking empty words while my mind wanders onto more pressing matters. Or sometimes I'm half asleep or half awake, depending on if it's morning or night. Maybe some of you are familiar with this prayer that I find myself praying often at school. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But sometimes, let's be honest, I don't even have time for that. So it gets shortened to what I call the Frank Costanza. And I just look up to heaven and I shout, Serenity now! And that's all the prayer that I get for the day. But what Paul is talking about here is not checking boxes. It's not a moral obligation or a religious tally mark. He's not offering helpful relaxation techniques to use in the midst of stressful situations. No, in fact, what Paul is getting at is act of war. It's a discipline. It's a training exercise. It is a discipline of putting on Christ. It is a discipline of submitting your first thoughts on any matter to Christ. A discipline of thinking of others first and laying down your life for them. He says, and I'm going to paraphrase here, when you take up your sword, which is the word of God, by studying your Bible and being taught in the church, pray. And at all other times you should pray. And also be alert and persevere in your prayers for all the other believers in the world. And then also pray again for me. Paul fell into that vein of early church leaders who were devoted to lives of prayer. We see this about the early church in Acts. Acts 1.14 says this. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The apostles came together and they devoted their lives to praying. They were disciplined. And it says it again. And they devoted themselves after Peter had preached his sermon to the Jews and many were baptized and welcomed in. They devoted themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And I know at this church that we do an awesome job at a lot of those more visible things. We are great at sitting and listening on Sundays to teaching. We are great at getting together and fellowshipping through community group and breaking bread and sharing together. 
But prayer, it's a, it's a little bit more subtle. It's a little bit more hidden. So my question is, are we good at it? It's a little bit more personal. It's something that requires discipline to hold yourself accountable and your brothers and sisters accountable to be men and women of prayer. God is calling us to be a church devoted to prayer, just like he called the early church to be devoted to prayer. So in the context of the armor of God and being called as ambassadors, I want to ask this question. How does prayer help keep our armor up? How does prayer help keep our armor up? So I'm going to offer three answers to this question for us to consider this morning. And the first is this. How does prayer keep our armor up? Prayer keeps us humble. Prayer keeps us humble. I'll take, give you guys a second to write this down. Prayer keeps us humble. And in Micah 6.8, it says this, He has told, the, told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We see the need for walking humbly with God, but what does that have to do with prayer? Well, it has everything to do with putting on Christ. You see, when we submit to Jesus as our king, we are called to put on his righteousness. Again, it's that same breastplate that Pat talked about last week. Romans 13, 14 says this, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Colossians 3.10 says, You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It even says only a couple chapters backwards in Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24, it says this, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That is, putting on the likeness of Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you would, Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus was God, and he had every right to be treated as such. But instead, he willingly sacrificed himself in humble obedience. Well, that's easy, you might be thinking to yourself. He was God. He had to do it. But he was also fully man. And he battled his flesh daily through prayer. Jesus was a disciplined prayer warrior. Look at what Jesus prays in the garden right before he's betrayed. This is from Matthew 26. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, 
saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, Jesus willingly placed himself under the authority of his father. That's why he taught us to pray in Matthew 6, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is a prayer of humility. When we enter into prayer for the Lord's will to be done, we are entering into an act of submission. An act of loyalty to the kingdom of light. An act of war to the kingdom of darkness. We submit and we recognize the sovereignty and the lordship of Jesus in our lives. When we submit prayers of supplication and petition to the Lord, we are admitting that we are not in control. That we are in need of a savior and a king. When we pray, we are following the example that Jesus set for us. When we pray, we are allowing the Holy Spirit to humble us before our king. Here's the second answer to the question on prayer, and that is this. Prayer keeps us unified with the Spirit and with one another. Prayer keeps us unified with the Spirit and with one another. Prayer is key in the life of the ambassador because it unites us in spirit to the one on behalf of whom we are sent. It also unites us in mission and in spirit to other ambassadors at work in our town, in our country, in Burkina Faso. in Indonesia, in Haiti. Those bringing justice and righteousness all over the world. And when we lift up our voice to heaven and we pray, Lord, your will be done. Bring justice to a broken world. Make your gospel clear. We join with the voices of saints all over the globe and we partner with them on the same mission. Let's look closer at Matthew 6. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And he told them, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see right there, Jesus teaches us the essentials of prayer. He prays that the Father's will would be done on earth and that we would be forgiven just as we forgive others. You see, our prayers should remind us of our need to be submitted to the direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. This allows us to share a common vision with our brothers and our sisters, not only locally but globally, where our ultimate good, the thing that we would sacrifice anything for, is seeing Christ glorified and seeing his gospel carried to the nations. Our prayer should also cause us to reflect on any issues that we have, any outstanding division among brothers and sisters. Because God has already forgiven us, we need to forgive others when there is a heart of repentance. I know that we're flip-flopping through Scripture here quite a bit, but turn back to Ephesians 4. Should just be a couple pages away. Ephesians 4 1. 
I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Can we pray earnestly and without hypocrisy? Lord, forgive me just as I have forgiven others. You see, if we can't do that, our prayer should bring to mind where the hypocrisy is in our own lives. And it should allow the Holy Spirit to send conviction that leads to repentance. And it should lead us to restored relationship. So that we can maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in the gospel within the church, between our brothers and sisters. Here's the last answer to the question of prayer that I posed earlier. Prayer prepares our hearts and minds to enact justice on God's behalf. Prayer prepares our hearts and minds to enact justice on God's behalf. Prayer is one of the primary means of communion with the Holy Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, as Paul says there at the end of the section on armor, in Ephesians 6.18, we invite the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to bring to our remembrance the character of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. This is from John. John 14.25-27. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, when we pray, the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance all of the things that Jesus said. Things like, Love your neighbor as yourself. Things like, let the little children come to me. Things like, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Things like, I came to seek and save the lost. Things like, I tell you, you must not forgive seven times, but seventy times seven. And he said many other things that are uncomfortable and challenging. But these statements of Jesus in their context show Jesus' heart of restoring justice through right relationships. And so when we consider our role as ambassadors, it is essential that we spend time praying in the Spirit. That we spend time allowing our memory of who Jesus is to be refreshed. So that we can more accurately reflect his character to the world. When we are aware and more familiar with who Jesus is, it becomes easier and easier for us to imitate him. I love what Paul says in Colossians 4. 
Colossians 4, 2 through 5 says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Mission Fellowship, let us continue then to pray steadfastly. Let us pray that doors would be open to us to boldly proclaim the gospel as we ought. And let us pray that we would walk in wisdom towards outsiders and that we would be gracious to everyone. And so all of this leads us to the application of being ambassadors. We know what tools we have available. We know what our armor is. We know that we need to be constantly in prayer. So all that is left is the easy part. And that is for us to boldly proclaim the victory as we ought. Paul mentions speaking boldly twice at the end of that passage. And the term he chooses there carries with it the connotation of speaking openly and with confidence. And brothers and sisters, I have two applications I want us to consider this morning. But before I ask the first question, I want to do a short self-reflection. I want to consider with you this morning where you would rate yourself on a scale of ambassadorial boldness from 1 to 10. A 10 means you were like Paul. If someone came in here and slapped handcuffs on you and led you away, it wouldn't stop you from proclaiming the gospel boldly. You're ready to give up your life and you regularly share the gospel boldly, accurately, and with confidence. And a zero means that you're not even sure you are an ambassador. You're not even sure you're part of the kingdom. You don't know the king. So I want you to go ahead and write down in your notes, just write a number down. And then I want to ask you this question. What will it take for me to move up the scale in my boldness as an ambassador for Jesus? What will it take for me to move up the scale as an ambassador for Jesus? For some of you, that looks like moving out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. It's a simple first step. For some of you, that means making a commitment to being more consistent in community with your brothers and sisters in this church. And I would submit for all of us, it means continuing to study the word Continuing to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in unifying us. Unifying our mission. Unifying our relationships. And allowing reconciliation to happen in our midst. My second question I have for you this morning is this. What am I willing to sacrifice to make my prayer life more vital? What am I willing to sacrifice to make my prayer life more vital? The great 19th century theologian and evangelist Charles Spurgeon put it this way. 
If you have neglected to pray, then you have ceased to breathe. And you may be afraid that you never did breathe at all. The thing that changed my point of view on prayer was the realization that we don't pray out of an obligation to communicate with God. It's not obligatory. We pray because we believe completely in the promises of prayer. We pray because we know this is the means which God has given us to stand firm. We pray because we know this is how we keep our armor up. So for me, it's been a sacrifice of sleep and Netflix. Plain and simple. It's taken me 30 years to be willing to sacrifice sleep for prayer. But I'm speaking to you from my personal experience and from a position of leadership in this church. Please. Make the commitment to your brothers and sisters to pray for them on a daily basis. To pray for unity in this body. To pray that the gospel message would go from this place boldly and confidently. So to that end, I'm going to pause for a second, and I actually want you to write this down and meditate on this question this week. Write down, what are you willing to give up so that your prayer life may become more vital? What is it you're going to give up? Go ahead and write it down. After nine years of marriage, my wife Sarah and I have realized in this last season that we needed to make sacrifices to make our prayer lives more vital. And for us, it's been sleeping shows. We've made it a daily discipline to pray through our church directory together. And it has been unifying in our relationship. And it has been unifying in our relationship with others in this church. And so my point today is not to condemn you. It's to speak to you with encouragement and exhortation. It's not too late to change old habits and to form new healthy ones. Jesus willingly gave himself up so that we could walk in relationship with him. My prayer is that we would willingly give ourselves up so that we could walk in relationship with him and with others, continuing to carry out his work of justice and righteousness here on earth. As the Civil War drew to a close, Union General 
William Tecumseh Sherman led his troops on a march from Atlanta, Georgia to Charleston, South Carolina. His tactics were questionable, but there is one thing that historians generally agree on. As Sherman and his troops marched eastward towards the sea, and as they traveled through the south, passed plantation after plantation, the Union soldiers liberated slaves, freeing them from their bondage. It is estimated that tens of thousands of freed slaves joined Sherman's march and assisted carrying on the war effort in various capacities. As a response to their newfound freedom, they carried the fight onward, continuing to liberate more and more of their brethren. Mission Fellowship was we march onward. Drawing our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members out of darkness into the light. Opening their eyes to the freedom in Christ from their bondage to sin and death. Dear church, may we be those spoken of in Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Before he started his march to the sea, General Sherman said, War is the remedy that our enemies have chosen, and I say let us give them all they want. Mission Fellowship, we are at war with the kingdom of darkness. The accuser chose rebellion against the king of the universe. And we are a peculiar people chosen in this time and place to remind him of his defeat. Let us go from this place proclaiming the victory of our king as ambassadors of the kingdom of light sent into the kingdom of darkness. Let us stay alert and persevere in our prayers so that we may continue to stand firm in our homes, in our places of work, everywhere we go. May we be found by our King steadfast in our love for one another. And may we be found standing firm on that great and glorious day when our King returns. <clears throat>